Hello, Hope Church. It is so awesome to have you back with us, and I am so excited to be able to go through this series we're doing this summer, focusing in on discipleship. As I said last week, I love discipleship, and I love the idea of going through it for this summer and spending each different week finding these different tools for our tool belt to disciple. Now, last week we said that the strategy of the kingdom is through the local church, and the strategy for building the local church is through discipleship. And so when we look around the world and we see how are churches growing in closed countries, how are churches growing in countries where they're not allowed to gather with more than three people, but it's through this discipleship. Sometimes we think that it has to be something big or it has to be a program, but it's really moving along through discipleship in just small numbers. But it takes all of us to do it. And in order to do it, we have to understand exactly what it is. We said last week that sometimes we view discipleship as this unicorn. We spend our entire lives chasing after something that we start to get to the point we think doesn't actually exist. Sorry if there's kids watching and they're out looking for unicorns. I apologize in advance. So we want to take this summer to look at discipleship. So if you would, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. This is the end of the book that we've been going through, but this is where I want to start this evening. Um, is understanding the need for discipleship, understanding why it is so important, why we should have a grasp on what it is and what it is not. So read with me, Matthew 28. Um, we're actually going to start up in verse 16 because I think it's fascinating. Last week, we were in Matthew 4 and Jesus is at the, the Sea of Galilee and he calls the disciples. And now here is Jesus leaving the earth after he's died and risen again. And pick it up in verse 16 because they start off or they finish where they started. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." Now, several people who are going to be speaking this summer are going to continually go back to this passage, and there is a lot there. So I'm not looking to do an exhaustive points from this passage. I just want you to understand that this is a command. This is what God said. This is God's strategy for building the kingdom is through the church, and the strategy for building the church is through discipleship. This can be done in prisons. This can be done in tiny little villages. This can be done in closed countries. It can be done anywhere. That's how important this is. That is how and why I believe God chose this strategy. And it really comes down to us following him, like we talked about last week. Us following him and inviting other people to go with us. So the question I want to answer this evening is, are we going to church or are we being the church? Because discipleship isn't something that your church should do. It should be the lifeblood of your church. It's what your church is. And that's what our hope and desire and prayer is that Hope Church is a church that is known for discipling. That it's not something we do, it's who we 
are. Now, in order to first do this, we have to understand what discipleship or what disciple is. In other words, we have to define the bullseye. If we all went out to the field and I gave everybody a bow and arrow and I said, hey, hit the bullseye. And then I step back and everybody's pulling back and letting him fly. And afterwards it's like, how'd you do? And they're like, great, I hit the bullseye. I'm like, ah, it doesn't look like it. Like, no, 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 I was aiming at that dandelion. And I go to the next person, hmm, how'd you do? Great, I hit the bullseye. No, I don't think you did. No, I was aiming at that oak tree and so on and so forth. And that's kind of, I think, one of the problems I've found as I've worked in different churches or talked to different people is everybody has defined discipleship a different way. Everybody has defined disciple a different way. So last week we talked about the discipleship chart that we use here at Hope Church. And it's just to simplify. It's just to get us all on the same page. The discipleship, very, the discipleship chart very simply says, helping someone grow one step closer in their relationship with God. It's being able to identify where I am, but it's also able to identify where other people are. And how do we grow together? How do I meet someone who does not know the Lord? And how do I help them grow into that saving knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ, of accepting Jesus Christ as their forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life? How do I identify where somebody is spiritually? Well, it's done by building a relationship with them. I love, again, the saying that discipleship is a relationship with a vision. It's knowing how do we help each other. It's not that I'm here to be the savior, it's that I'm here to help you as you help me. And we help to disciple alongside of each other. So again, helping someone grow one step closer in the relationship with God. Hopefully you're getting a grasp on that. Hopefully it's something that we start to ask each other to define discipleship as we go through this summer. And now in order to define disciple, I first wanna to go to Romans 12, one and two. If you wanna turn there, I'm gonna read it as well. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul writes, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. Again, not going to spend a lot of time in these two verses, which I wish I could, but I want to look at one thing first, and that is the saying where he says, this is your true and proper worship. In other words, in light of what God's done, in light of his mercy and grace, what Jesus did for you on the cross and how he defeated death, in view of all that, that true and proper can actually be translated, this is your common sense answer in your response to God. In other words, this should take priority. It is priority for us to serve God. Remember, worship and serve are interchangeable. This is our common sense answer to God after all he's done for us is for us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now there's two words that I want to focus on. The first one is conformed. When he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Conform means letting the outside world change the inside of the person. When we conform to something, it means that whatever is happening around us, we are turning into that. It means that the inside of us, who we are, how we find our identity, starts to conform to the world around us. That's the don't do this part. 
But then he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transforming is something on the inside of a person that changes how the person looks or behaves that the world notices. So when we allow the world and everything in it to shape who we are, we conform to the ways of the world. When we allow God to do his work through the Holy Spirit in our lives, through our time in the word of God, through our time in prayer and meditation, and our mind starts to transform, now we affect the world around us. We start to live differently. So in understanding this, these two verses and these wordings, the, the transformation of the mind is telling that God is at work in us. Again, when our mind is being transformed, it is telling that the Spirit of God is living in us and changing the way that we live. It's changing how we act, and the world should take notice as we live for God. So how do we define disciple? We define disciple by saying a disciple is a follower of Jesus that the gospel is continually transforming. A disciple is a follower of Jesus that the gospel is continually transforming. Which leads to the question, how do we make disciples? And if you're asking that question, I'm so glad because that's what we're going to talk about the rest of the time. How do we make disciples? Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And this is a passage that if you've ever been in a discipleship group or you've heard discipleship talked about before, this should be a very familiar passage. And if you haven't, I am excited to have you see this because I think it, Paul lays a wonderful message out here for Timothy, a beautiful plan of what making disciples is. So join with me, 2 Timothy, starting in chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Again, this is Paul writing to Timothy, someone he met when Timothy was very young, and someone that Paul demonstrates through his writings to him what discipleship looks like. And now he is telling Timothy, this is now what you should do. This is what discipleship looks like. Starting in verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown us himself. 
Now there's a lot there, but I want to point out specifically how do we use this passage to teach us how to make disciples. Now I want to look at the first two verses. He says, entrust to reliable people who also will be qualified to teach others. A disciple maker is someone who relies on the strength given to them by the grace of God to teach others to know God better, who in turn teach others to know God better. And it sounds scary. If, if your gift isn't teaching or, or you think, well, I can't possibly teach others what, how to do this. This isn't you teaching a classroom. This is you learning from somebody else and then you just demonstrating in your life how to go about living like Christ. You are also learning. There is a lot of grace involved in discipleship. In fact, in two weeks, that's what the message is on. Grace-filled discipleship. Because you're going to mess up, they're going to mess up, we mess up. Jesus continues to give us grace as we learn. So again, that's something that you are learning. It's something that you are teaching through how you live it out in these small groups, maybe even just one-on-one. -on -one. But another saying that you're going to hear a lot, uh, and actually is going to be another <laughs> title of a message this summer, a disciple maker isn't a disciple maker until they make a disciple who makes disciples. It is meant to continue to go on. It is meant to be this chain reaction. Part of you discipling somebody is then helping them teach somebody else or to disciple somebody else. So again, find those reliable people and continue to teach them by inviting them into your life. So what does it take to be a disciple maker? What does it take to be a disciple maker? Number one, we see it in verse three and four. A disciple maker must be mission minded. Again, a disciple maker must be mission minded. Paul uses the example of the soldier. And this isn't just any soldier. This is the Roman soldier, highly disciplined. And he says, and he compares it to obeying an order from a commanding officer. What did we just read to begin? Matthew 28, Jesus saying, go and make disciples. The great commission. Great commission can be translated as the great order from your commanding officer. And that is what Jesus is doing. So how does a soldier go about doing what has been commanded him? Well, as Paul says, he must be willing to endure suffering. A soldier must be willing to endure suffering. And discipleship is having the ability to be long-suffering. Discipleship can and will be difficult at times. That's why we talk about grace and discipleship. Because there are going to be times where you feel so disappointed in the people that you are pouring into. But it's going to be reciprocal because there's going to be times that you are going to feel like you have disappointed them. And you will. But it's a long-suffering relationship as a soldier learns the business of being a soldier through long-suffering, through long-training, if you will. But I go back again. Discipleship is a relationship with a vision. It keeps the end goal in mind of helping them come to know Christ or helping them to be to grow to be more Christ-like. The other part that I want to point out about the soldier, this says he does not get entangled in civilian pursuits. Imagine if you were on the battlefield and you were about to lead this huge advance into the enemy and your commanding officer says, we are about to go. 
and the guy that you are close with who you know has your back says, hey, I just got to follow up on some bank statements first. Like I just got to finish a couple paperwork, but go ahead. I'll catch up with you. Or he says, well, you know, I'd love to, but I have to get my kids to like baseball practice. And then, so I'm just going to do that. I got to run to the store and then I'll be back. No, that is not how you listen to a commanding officer. When a commanding officer says, go, you go. The civilian part of your brain, the civilian part of your life is left behind. That's what Paul is saying. Get rid of those civilian pursuits or at least prioritize better. Sometimes we do not disciple because we say, oh, my life is too busy. I can't possibly add one more thing to it. If I do make some room, I'll start discipling people. What God says is, no, you go disciple people and then you let the other things come in when there's time. It's a challenge to our priorities. It's a challenge to keep us mission-minded, to keep us focused on what God has commanded us. Number two, a disciple-maker must know the guidelines. A disciple-maker must know the guidelines. Again, in verse 5, he compares it to the athlete. And these are the athletes that are competing in the original Olympic games. Their whole life was wrapped up. Everything they did was wrapped up in competing in these games. And there were very strong consequences if you didn't compete according to the rules. If you competed outside of the guidelines that were laid before you. So as a disciple maker, you must know the guidelines of discipleship. And this comes by spending dedicated time in God's word. Knowing the guidelines of how to teach other people to grow in their faith comes from you spending that time alone growing in your faith. Again, that is going to be a message in this series, the importance of spending time alone with God and ministering from the outpouring of what you are learning into the lives of others. There are no shortcuts in discipleship. If you come across things that say, make disciples in 10 easy steps, throw it out. Don't do it. Discipleship is a lifetime. Discipleship is long-suffering. Discipleship is something that will take a large quantity of your life. It is relationship with a vision. There are no shortcuts. There are no cheat. There is no cheating in making disciples. You don't disciple people when you're only at your best and you don't let them see your worst. You invite them in to your life. Last week after the message, somebody as they were leaving said to me, I realized that discipleship isn't out of convenience. Discipleship is anytime. When the neighbor rings your doorbell at 1130 because they're going through a rough spot, you answer the door. You, they see you at your worst and you see them at their worst. That is really true discipleship. Know the guidelines. No cheating, no shortcuts. Number three, a disciple maker must be willing to put in the hard work. Again, verse six, Paul uses the farmer as an example. A disciple maker must be willing to put in the hard work. I grew up working on dairy farms and the hardest working people that I know are farmers. One farmer in particular, and his name was Harold Snyder, and I loved the man to death. He hired me when I was 12 years old, gave me my really first job, but I learned so much from him. But he was willing to outwork 
everybody. He thought outside the box. He was a, I believe, at least a third generation farmer running this farm that had been passed down and passed down and passed down. But he worked. At the time I worked for him, I think he was in his 50s or 60s. Uh, I just checked in on him uh, about two months ago, and he's in his 80s. And from what I hear, he can still be just about anybody at the ping pong table. Like, he is just a worker. And I love the man to death. But uh, he was willing to put in the hard work. He was willing to go above and beyond. You see, the farmer and his family, their life is dependent on the work that is put in for the harvest. If there is no harvest, whatever it is, whatever they're farming, whatever animals they have, if there is no farmers, if there is no harvest, they go hungry. That's how it is with the church. If the church is not willing to put in the hard work in the harvest, the church dies. The church doesn't go. The church only goes as how much the people in the church are willing to be in the harvest making disciples. You show me a church that is growing in a healthy way and I will show you a church that is discipling. You show me that a church that is dying and I will show you a church that has forgotten or has lacked in discipleship. And I know that's pretty rough, but it's biblical. Compare that farmer that Paul's talking about here. Read through the Proverbs. If you are in your Read Scripture app and you are up to date, you are now in Proverbs. And you are going to start seeing the word sluggard or sloth show up. Compare the farmer with the sluggard. And look at the difference in what happens with somebody who is willing to put in the hard work. Remember, we have to outwork Satan. Satan is at very hard work doing what he wants to do to distract, getting you to say discipleship is something we'll start next week. Discipleship is for other people to do. That is not the case. Outwork Satan. And you can because there is a powerful and almighty God whose spirit is living inside of you. Number four, a disciple maker knows what is at stake. Verses 7 through 10. A disciple maker knows what is at stake in this idea of making disciples. Look at what Paul says in verse 7. Reflect. In other words, meditate. Meditate on. Ponder. Think about. Reflect. God has given you. He's talking to Timothy, but he's talking to me and he's talking to you. God has given you a unique influence over a certain amount of people that God in his sovereignty has placed you near. What are you doing with your influence? God has put you in the job that you have because he wanted you to be there to make disciples where you work. God has put in you in your neighborhood, in your apartment complex. He has put you near your neighbors in his sovereignty because now you have a chance to use your influence to build the kingdom of God. God has given you influence over your family, over your friends, you name it. God in his sovereignty has placed you around people to be there, to be the light and the darkness for them. He says, he continues reminding Timothy, the word of God is not chained. Amen? He says, I'm chained. I'm in prison like a criminal. It is believed this is the last book that he writes, the last letter he writes before he is put to death by the Roman government. 
But he says, the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I'm going to continue to do everything that I can to reach other people with the gospel. Why? Because God is still undefeated. God is still undefeated. Here Paul says that the word of God is not chained. We are going to see later on as we go through Matthew. What does he tell Peter? The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. On this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That isn't us being under attack from hell. That means the gates of hell are under attack by us. We are storming the gates and they cannot hold the gospel back. God is all-powerful. God does not make mistakes. He didn't call you on accident. He has given you unique gifts. He has given you an understanding. He has given you a mission. How are you living it out? Do you understand what is at stake? The lives of the people around you the lives and the souls of the people who are in extremely close proximity to you, God has called you to in his sovereignty. He then uses the phrase steward wisely. In other words, this is what God has given you. He has sovereignly put you where he wants you. He has sovereignly given you unique gifts and talents and abilities. He has given you the gospel message. How are you being a steward of these things? How are you managing these things? How are you prioritizing these things? A disciple maker knows what is at stake. And lastly, number five, a disciple maker demonstrates their faith through action. Verses 11 through 13. A disciple maker demonstrates their faith through action. Verses 11 through 13. If you go back to James chapter 2, and we mention this pretty often, but James says, faith without works is dead. If that is true, that faith without works is dead, then the opposite is true as well. Where faith is abundant, actions are plentiful. Where our faith is alive and active, actions are being done to demonstrate what it is to be in the kingdom of God. If if our faith is real, then discipleship is abundant. Then discipleship is happening in our lives and it's happening in the lives around us. And if we are people of faith, what could possibly be more important in worshiping God than obeying his direct orders to go and make disciples? Our commanding officer, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, has said, go and make disciples. How are we living that out in our life? What does it look like in your daily life, with your family, with your children, with your roommates? What does it look like in your weekly life with the people that you are interacting with? Who has access to your life and whose life do you have access to? Are you involved with peers, people that you are learning with as you go? Um, In my conversations with people about discipleship, a conversation that's happened more often than not, and I can say the same is very true in my own life, is a lot of times when we are looking for someone to disciple us, that unicorn in the sky who would come and just indwell us with knowledge and wisdom. What I found is it was the people who were just like me that I was getting together with regularly, who are pouring into my life, who are calling out actions in my life that needed to change as I was doing the same to them. 
And I would say the majority of my life, that's what discipleship has looked like. Even now, I am so thankful for the amount of pastors, and you're going to get to meet a lot of them this summer, who continually check in on me, who I learn from on a regular basis. I don't feel like I'm teaching anybody, any of these aged pastors anything, but I'm learning from them continually. So what does it look like in your life? And I'll finish with this question that we started with. Are you going to church or are you being the church? Because until you are making disciples, until you are serving God by living out this ministry of discipleship in your life, you are just attending a building. When you start to do that, when you start to make disciples, now you are being the church. Now you are taking part in the strategy of making disciples, which builds the church. And as we build the church, is the strategy for building the kingdom of God. So again, our prayer is that discipleship isn't something that we do. It is who we are. It is us living out the very command of God. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to be called children of God. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone watching this who has never called out to you, who has never taken that step in, in beginning that relationship with you, making you the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life, that today would be that day, that right now they would call out to you, asking you to forgive them as only you can, as only you accomplished on the cross. That they would call out to you to be the, the leader of their life that you demonstrated when you defeated sin and you defeated death when you rose again. That you are all-powerful. But Lord, I also pray for us who are following you, who know you, Lord, that you would put it in our hearts, that you would help us to prioritize the importance of making disciples in our life. Not for our glory, but Lord, that we would do this for your glory, as this is your command to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.